You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. As we turn now to the final chapter of the book of Ruth, and we've entitled the book of Ruth uh, for our study, A Story of Faithful Redemption, uh, because uh, boy, it didn't start off so well there in the house of bread. Uh, name of the what the name Bethlehem means. There in the house of bread, there was great lack, and Elimelech and uh, his uh, family uh, they ended up going to Moab uh, to find uh, better conditions, and uh, they they found some blessings there certainly uh, with uh, the wives that the sons took, Ruth and Orpah. But uh, they didn't find uh, lasting peace or prosperity or longevity there as all of the men passed away, the father and the sons, uh, leaving his wife and her now uh, uh, young widowed uh, daughter-in-laws. And uh, uh, Naomi decided to return home, uh, giving her well wishes and her blessings uh, to her daughter-in-laws. And Ruth said, no, I'm going where you're going. I will lie where you lie. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my gods. And may uh, great curses come to me if I do not uh, fulfill this vow. And so Naomi, (coughs) pardon, Naomi with Ruth returned back to Bethlehem. And uh, her name being uh, Joy, she said, no, call me now only sorrow. And so that was how the first chapter went and uh, just tragedy upon tragedy uh, difficulties compounding then in the second chapter in the third we find uh, Ruth uh, doing her best to uh, as the poor were allowed uh, to glean in the fields during the harvest and for two harvest uh, wheat and barley both uh, she gleaned in Boaz's field uh, she was well regarded uh, she was allowed to uh, be with the maidens and uh, to eat with them at mealtime, to uh, take water with them at the well, to um, uh, have even uh, direct harvesting, not having to wait for the, the, the workers to go, <coughs> to go by and receive only the gleaning. She was given uh, a, a regular uh, part. Uh, she was sent home with gifts as well uh, to her uh, mother-in-law. After this went a while, and uh, Naomi could tell because of the nature of uh, of Boaz's uh, character, and because of the generosity which he had continually shown Ruth, Naomi had decided that uh, I think that this would be a good way to uh, to secure future, a future for Ruth uh, permanently uh, if she would uh, ask uh, Boaz to redeem a field. Uh, remember, under the law of Moses, each family was given an allotment of land directly by God. It was their right if they'd ever had to sell it. Uh, for it to be returned to them by the process of redemption, for a price to be paid uh, for the one who had, or the descendants of the one who had had bought it. Uh, It was held uh, always with an idea of trust uh, for that original family. And Naomi said, we'd like to uh, call back in the trust. We'd like to have that land uh, in our name again. Uh, And with that, uh, we find goes uh, Naomi. Uh, She would be uh, the uh, you know the family that is with the land, the family to whom the land is now attached uh, by her marriage 
and by her her coming into uh, Israel. And so the offer was basically to uh, have uh, someone take the land. Uh, they would get that, uh, which would be desirable. But they'd also get the, a wife in Ruth. And we find Boaz did find that to be res- uh, re- uh, desirable. And he found himself complimented in that and that Ruth would have regard for the ways of uh, the people of God and their peculiar customs regarding land ownership and the like. And and uh, also here's an older gentleman who'll have a wife. Don't know if it's uh, first one or second one or so. We know there was polygamy in the land in those days, and we have no idea of the status of Boaz in regard to any uh, prior marriage, or, or is he now a widower, or is he never married? Do we, we just do not know. But we find that uh, when the uh, offer was made for him to be the redeemer of the land and, and of the women, uh, uh, it was found out that there was one other kinsman uh, who had a, a closer claim. And so we pick up the story in uh, Ruth chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, Ruth uh, chapter 4 and and verse 1, where the nearer kinsman is offered the land. And with the land uh, will come uh, Ruth and, and, <coughs> and her obligation to her mother-in-law. And so you're going to gain a wife and a mother-in-law if you... Uh, want this piece of property, which is evidently of itself desirable. Uh, So verse 1 of Ruth 4. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. And so he's a a relative to Elimelech. He's a relative to Boaz. And so uh, he says to his cousin or, you know, great nephew or or second cousin twice removed, whatever exactly the relationship was. Uh, these men are uh, are friendly with each other, have a good conversation, and they're of, of some kin, probably not all that close, but of some kin. And so he says, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And so taking the offer, he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city. And he said, sit down here. So they sat down. So the elders are meeting at the gate as, uh, was the custom of the time. And so now the elders are there. And so it's obviously some piece of, of uh, a formal business uh, that must be attended to. And he said to that closest relative, Naomi, who's come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. Ah, okay. So land. You might always on <laughs> look out for a good opportunity, uh, have a chance to get some land. So he says, I thought to inform you, saying, buy it before those sitting here. So there, that would be the record of the deed uh, in today's parlance. That would be the, the legal way to do it, buy it openly and honestly and, and publicly, and everybody would know that, yeah, he bought that. Uh, we're witnesses. So buy it before these men sitting here, before the elders of my people. And if you'll redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know. For there is no one but you to redeem it. And I'm after you. So here's the situation. This is the land that uh, uh, is possible to to obtain and uh, keep here in the family. uh, That under under duress, uh, uh, we we, we can't let that duress uh, cause it to leave the family. It's it's ours by by lot and it's a trust of the Lord's. And so the relative says, hey, land, I'll take it. Then Boab says, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth, 
the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. So, it's a package deal. There's the land, and with it comes the lady. Now, we know that Boaz knows this lady well. Uh, She has been with his uh, servants and his maids uh, for two harvests now. Uh, He has uh, respect for her. She's asked for his protection. She's asked for him to to, uh, take care of her, provide it permanently for her and her mother-in-law. And then this Boaz informs the man, this is how it will be. Now, this custom of marrying a near relative, uh, normally we think of it as the brother's duty to brother. Here it seems to be a bit farther out. And the law um, uh, specified brothers. Uh, But we do know at times in the scripture, uh, the word brother does also apply to relationships that are cousins. And so just because someone is called a brother, uh, and again, in a tribe, everyone's related, right? That's how you have a tribe. Everyone's related. So there are times when uh, brother is extended to uh, uh, brother-in-laws, like we do today, or cousins, which again, we commonly, uh, or at least some people do that in some occasions, in the closest of relationship. So the law had said, if brothers dwell together, this is Deuteronomy 25, 5. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside her family, but her husband's brother will go to her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. So a husband's brother, we would normally call that a brother-in-law. So the brother-in-law had a duty uh, for uh, to take care of with uh, his brother's wife uh, to raise a son in his name. It would say in Deuteronomy that the name of the firstborn would uh, succeed the name of his dead brother and his name would not be blotted from Israel. So you'd count one as a son of the first husband. And so uh, the, the memory the memory would be there. And it was a grave crime if someone refused to do that. There's one well-known case in the scripture, Onan uh, did uh, refuse to raise up a, a son in his brother's name. And uh, he was uh, he was greatly cursed uh, for doing that. Now, we often call this, and this is where things get uh, a little more confused, I think, than they sometimes ought to be, but we call this the law of leveret marriage. Leveret marriage. Because, of course, of course the word lever means brother-in-law in Latin. So, so we in English use a Latin term uh, to describe this Hebrew practice. Uh, just to make sure that everybody gets good and confused. So it's the, it's the law of leveret marriage. It's Deuteronomy 25. If a man doesn't want to do that, he could refuse, uh, not like Onan, uh, by duplicity uh, and taking advantage of the woman uh, for, for, it seems, his own lust, but yet still refusing to raise up a, a son. Uh, not like Onan. Uh, he was in grave error for what he did. But there was a way uh, which a man could refuse uh, this obligation, but he had to do it publicly. And even in this case, where it was done openly and in a more honorable fashion, uh, there would be some shame in the fact that the man uh, didn't fulfill this duty. Uh, If the man says, I refuse, uh, then in uh, Deuteronomy 25.8, the elders of the city would speak to him. If he stands firm, he says, I don't wish to take her. Then his brother's wife shall 
come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandal from his shoe, spit in his face, and say, so it will be to the man who will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in all Israel, the house of him who had his sandal removed. Now, we'd probably think that's a silly nickname, but something about shoes in the Middle Eastern culture has a lot to, a lot more shame involved uh, than, than we would think. So in any case, there was a law. Uh, it's been appealed to. And here Boaz is offering his uh, relative, uh, who is unnamed and not shamed in this, uh, it's offering to him uh, to do this. And, but then the relative said, verse 6, back to Ruth, I cannot redeem this for myself. He says, lest I jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself, and you may have my right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. And so just for the land, he thought that was a fine idea. But realizing there's a marriage involved, and realizing that uh, uh, this son would be uh, in the name of, of uh, Malhon, uh, Ruth's father, or, or excuse me, Ruth's husband, or uh, Elimelech, uh, Ruth's uh, father-in-law, uh, he says, you know, that's going to mess up my inheritance plans. Um, maybe it'd mess up his, uh, the marriage that he had with his wife or the, the marriage he had pending. Uh, but somehow he comes up with what uh, sounds at least, I think, probably like a plausible excuse. Well, whether it's true or not, who knows. But uh, here's somebody that appears to be eager to take on the responsibility. And so it is that uh, another man is not eager. And so we'll just make a friendly agreement to let you take this on. Uh, thanks for asking. Verse 7, that was the custom in the former times in Israel concerning the redemption and exchange of land to confirm a matter. A man removed his sandal and gave it to another. And this is the manner of the attestation in Israel. Again, I don't quite get the shoe stuff, but there it is in the text. So the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. And he removed his sandal. So the, the, there's no, there's no, Ruth doesn't have to come spit in anybody's face. There doesn't have to be any shame. There doesn't have to be any stigma uh, to this, except we know what an opportunity uh, he missed out on, what blessings of God uh, he missed out on by not taking Ruth. Now, just quickly, and we could spend a lot of time in textual uh, diving, uh, but the the question of marrying one from Moab, that does come up here. Uh, we recall that in Exodus 34, uh, there was instructions when you go to the land of Canaan, and uh, you see all the things that are there, and you live among the uh, the tribes that are there. It says, uh, "Don't make a covenant with them." You have a covenant with God. Don't make a covenant with these, these Canaanites. I'm going to drive out before you the Ammonite and the Canaanite, the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Watch for yourselves and you make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. And a little bit later in Exodus 34, do not take uh, some of their daughters for your sons or uh, uh, that his daughters might play the harlot with their gods and cause your sons also to play the harlots with their gods. It's repeated again in Deuteronomy 7. Uh, it, when God brings you to the land that you're going to possess and clears the nations away, nations bigger and stronger than you, when God delivers you from all them and it lists the seven 
destroy them. Make no covenant. Make no no show them no favor. Do not intermarry with them. And later in the book of Ezra, uh, that prohibition. Uh, this is after the captivity, a long time after the time of Judges. But in the book of Ezra, uh, that prohibition is uh, they're reminded of, and it's expanded even to include the Ammonites and the Moabites. Uh, Ezra 9.1, uh, uh, you have not separated yourselves from the people of the land according to their abominations. Those are the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites. And now the list is a little bit different. It mentions also the Moabites and the Egyptians and the Amorites. And so uh, early on, there was no uh, uh, prohibition, uh, particularly with the Egyptians. There was two, um, or those of, of Moab. Uh, so uh, there wasn't a direct prohibition, but later it would be expanded there because uh, they have taken some of the daughters, their daughters as wives for themselves, the men of Israel have, and their sons, so the holy races intermingled with the people of the land. And uh, the princes, it says, and the rulers have been foremost in this unfaithfulness. And again, it's written in Nehemiah 13. They read from the book of Moses on the hearing of the people that it was found that it was written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. And they weren't to enter the assembly of God in Deuteronomy 23 uh, for 10 generations. There was to be for 10 generations, uh, they were to be kept out. Now, 10 generations might be a literal 10, or it might be the kind of a perfect 10, which means don't do it forever. Um, but there, there are these uh, restrictions. And so sometimes some have wondered, how is it that uh, that doesn't come up here? Why is that not here? And, you know, if, if this fellow, uh, the, the, if this had been objectionable uh, because she's a Moab, uh, one of Moab, we would think that this relative who refused her would have said, yeah, I'll take the land, but not the Moabitess, right? Uh, but nobody ever rings, brings up an objection uh, to anything of Ruth, to Ruth being in Naomi's house, to uh, Ruth being taken as a wife by Boaz. Uh, I think one commentator rightly said this. He said, Boaz did not marry Ruth the pagan, worshiper of Chamos, that's the goddess or the god of, of uh, the Moabites, Boaz did not marry Ruth, the pagan worshiper of Chamosh, but Ruth, the dedicated follower of God. She'd already made a confession of the covenant. Your people will be my people and your God will be uh, my God. And Boaz had said to her back in chapter three, he said, the Lord reward your work. Your wages will be full from Jehovah, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. And so I, I don't think that those restrictions and instructions about those of Moab apply in this, but rather instead the promise that was said by Isaiah, again, many years later, but this is a foretaste and a picture of what Isaiah would later speak of, Isaiah 56. Thus says the Lord, preserve justice and do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come and my righteousness to be revealed. How blessed is the man who does this, the son of the man who takes hold of it, who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Here we go. Let not the foreigner who's joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and who choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. 
To them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial, and a name that's better than that of sons and daughters. And I will give them the everlasting name that will not be cut off. Also the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants. Let everyone who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even those I will bring to my holy mountain, and I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house will be called the house of prayer for all peoples. So I think that is a prophecy about the church uh, uh, eventually, uh, but I think it's fulfilled also in such things as we see here that uh, God welcomes these who, though they were foreigners, they honor him and his law, and he has blessed them. So, Boaz has asked the uh, other man, uh, would you like to uh, redeem uh, that which is uh, through Elimelech and uh, Malhan? And he says, I'd like to, but then when he finds out that uh, it comes with Ruth, he said, no. And then so Boaz says, well, that's fine. They made the agreement. And now Boaz, Boaz has uh, the right as well as uh, the familial obligation uh, to take care of these things. And so Boaz, verse 9, Boaz says to the elders of the people, You're all witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belong to Elimelech and all that belong to Chilon and to Malon. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth, the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance, so that the name of the deceased may not be cut off from his brothers or from the place in the, or the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. And all the people who are in the court, the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah both of whom built a house for Israel. And may you achieve the wealth of Ephratath and become famous in Bethlehem. Oh my, did, did they but not even know. Um, and so, uh, yes, uh, he became uh, the first uh, famous resident of Bethlehem. And how many famous residents of Bethlehem uh, do we not end up with? And so he became famous in Bethlehem. Moreover. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, through the offspring which the Lord shall give you by this young woman. And so there's, uh, it's interesting, they uh, be as blessed as Tamar uh, and fruitful like her. That, that's not the most savory and family-friendly of stories, is it? But uh, here is uh, a large portion of the tribe of Judah came through that union. And everyone in the tribe of Judah is, is related to her, right? They are. And so uh, here we find uh, one of the women of Judah. We'll also find out that uh, Rahab, uh, you know, Rahab, uh, the one who uh, was spared from Jericho with her faithful treatment of the spies, uh, it's one of Boaz's relatives that she married. And so uh, that woman uh, makes an appearance in the lineage as well. And now, of course, Ruth. So we've got Tamar. Uh, we've got uh, Rahab. And we've got Ruth, uh, all women, uh, either of foreign or, shall we say, what is the proper word? Uh, maybe possibly dubious, <laughs> or at least checkered. Well, let's say checkered. Women of 
women either of foreign or checkered past who uh, are in the uh, genealogy that will lead through this book directly to David and thus, of course, on to the Messiah. And so they are blessed, and we find out that the blessing is not just an empty blessing or not just the blessing of men. It is the fullness of the blessing of God, which is given them. Verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her. And the Lord, Jehovah, enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Remembering back all the way to the earliest, earliest birth, where Eve said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And so it is that they had asked for the Lord's blessing on this union, and she was blessed with conception and with a son. Then the women said to Naomi, the one who had left them in sadness and came back worse. The women said to Naomi, Blessed is Jehovah, who has not left you without a redeemer today. And may his name be famous in Israel. Oh, but did they not know how famous did they become? All this whole family, how famous did they become in all of Israel? May you also, may he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer in your old age. So what comes with redemption? Restoration and sustenance. And for your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. So I can imagine grandma inseparable, inseparable from her, her new grandbaby, the one for whom many years she would have thought she would never see. And the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. And so they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse. The text continues, so let's see it on there. He's the father of Jesse, the father of David. So, Obed, father of Jesse, father of David. And so we know the genealogy from there. When we go to the New Testament, we, we have a rehearsing of the re genealogy uh, from here uh, to uh, from Perez. Uh, back um, uh, uh, to uh, who is the son of Judah. Uh, we need to be reminded of that, that Perez was the son of, of Judah, and that's where Tamar came in. Uh, so these people are uh, des descendant uh, of, of Tamar, uh, but directly of, of, of Judah. Like I say, we again, we have to remind ourselves that this is their family story they know, so they don't have to identify who Perez is. They all knew. So it was, it was Judah, and then after Judah, through Tamar, Perez. And to Perez was born Hezron, and to Hezron was born Ram, and to Ram, Abinadad. To Abinadad was born Nashon, and to Nashon, Salmon, and to Salmon was born Boaz, and to Boaz, Obed, and to Obed was born Jesse, and to Jesse, David. And so we have 10 generations given us there from the time of Judah or Judah's son uh, to the time of David. Now, as it turns out, that's about 600 years because that is the entire time of the uh, sojourn in Egypt, uh, which was uh, about uh, uh, 400 years because there's 150 years or so uh, before slavery. There's 250 years of slavery. 
It's about a 400-year sojourn in Egypt. And then there's the time of the judges, uh, which we think is about another uh, 270 years or so. It's hard to tell in the book of Judges because the stories of the judges overlap one another. So you just can't add up all the years given because some of those years run concurrently. But in any case, from the time of Judah uh, and his son Perez to the time of David, uh, who is uh, the, the second king <clears throat> of Israel 40 years after the period of Judges stops, we've got 600 to 650 years, and we only have 10 names of the genealogy. And so it appears that this is the highlights, that this is not every single um, every single uh, ancestor. If that was so, uh, because we know from the book of Matthew, where the genealogy of Jesus is given, that it says, that Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse. If we don't have any genealogy, any generations at all skipped, then we have Boaz being directly Rahab's son. And we also have then um, uh, uh, their son, um, Obed, uh, being uh, the grandfather of David. And that only gives us three generations to cover the entire book of Judges. So I think there's some other generations in there. I don't think that uh, that Rahab uh, was, you know, the, the four or five great-grandfather of, uh, of David. She was probably closer to 10 or 12 great-grandmother of David. And it might be that Ruth was not uh, the direct uh, great-grandmother of David. She might have been the second or third great-grandmother. In any case, however many generations uh, we don't have, we definitely have these recorded, and we know that the, uh, there is a direct line of of, of descent uh, through uh, the people of God who kept these uh, meticulous records of genealogies, and we have a number of them recorded in the scriptures. But what did we find? That we found that there was a redeemer. We found in the product of the Redeemer and the Son, there was uh, one who brought joy. There was one who restored life. There was one who sustained in old age. And it was all done because Boaz was this faithful uh, Redeemer. And again, in Hebrew, the same word for Redeemer is for nearest kinsman uh, because there is a, uh, a familial obligation. Uh, that if someone is close to you, as a, someone is kin to you, uh, there is a responsibility. And of course, that wasn't just in ancient Israel. Or there, though, it was, uh, you know, one of the main ways that the legal system worked. Uh, but today, even though our legal system isn't based on kinship and, and tribal membership, but still, uh, isn't there responsibilities uh, that are tied to kinship? With kinship, with closeness, there is responsibility. And even if it's not kinship, even if it's just affinity, even if it's just uh, friends, uh, you know, friends have an obligation uh, to show and take care of uh, one another. Uh, we have the saying that when, when somebody's acting up, somebody will say, hey, come get your boy, right? Come, wh why do they need to come get this guy? Because he's, the, he's their boy, right? He, he's one of theirs. Uh, with with uh, affinity, with friendship, and certainly with kinship, there comes a great responsibility. And we are so happy that when we did need it greatly, that uh, came for us 
uh, our Redeemer, right? When we were helpless, uh, when we needed someone uh, to, with compassion, uh, come and take responsibility for us and our dire situation, that one did that. And so uh, in the Old Testament, uh, uh, Redeemer is tied to kinship. In the New Testament, there's a different connection. Redemption and Redeemer is tied to salvation because this is one of the ways in which the great work of Christ is described. In Luke 24, as Jesus was walking with those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, uh, they said this, we were hoping it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Well, they were right. (laughs) They were temporarily disappointed because they thought they weren't right. But Jesus explains it in the scripture and says, nah, but you were. You were right. I am the one who's come to redeem Israel. Of Galatians 4 and verse 5, he came that he might redeem those who are under the law. And in Galatians 3, redeem them from the curse of the law. And if we weren't under the law, uh, we were, we, you know, pagan ancestry. Well, that, he covers that too. Uh, Titus 2.14, he gave himself to redeem us from every lawless deed. So whether your ancestors were of the law and under that curse, or whether they uh, were a law unto themselves and practiced lawlessness, in either case comes Christ the Redeemer to redeem those under the law, redeem from the curse of the law, and to redeem us from every lawless deed. Now, Boaz's redemption of Ruth, I don't know what it costs. I don't know how much that land uh, acquisition cost him uh, and the uh, and all, but it was money well spent, whatever it was. Uh, but it wasn't money that redeemed us and the ultimate redemption by our blessed Redeemer, as it says in First Peter 1, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, from your futile ways of life inherited from your forefathers, but instead with precious blood, as of the Lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. And so, if that redemption of Ruth and Naomi, if that redemption was blessed and bore good fruit, if that, uh, if that redemption was kind and generous, If that redemption uh, was blessed, how much more us and how much more our Redeemer and that which he did for us at great price to himself, redeeming us from our lawless deeds, redeeming us from the law, redeeming us with his own blood to be his people for his own possession. Uh, Let us rejoice in that and think of that uh, great blessing and privilege uh, that was given us and the great thing done for us in our redemption. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.